0: Well, it's a delight to be here. Um, I brought this big Bible forward for optical reasons. I have the text all here, uh, but I think it important for us to know that this is what matters. What may come from my mouth matters less, except insofar as it's true to this. So I'm not setting it aside. I'm putting it on display over here. (laughs) There's simply not room here for what I need to spread before me. Um, And we come now in the service to the pastoral prayer, so let let me pray for us. Father, what a joy it is to gather with your people, knowing that, first and foremost, you are here. Thank you for making us your children. We could never have found you, but you found us. We could never have reached up to you but you came down to us we can never measure up to your standards but jesus as taylor put it nailed it when he was nailed to the cross and so we can come before you thankful and confident not in ourselves but in him father we come as people with significant issues in our lives and hopefully some of those will be touched upon in, in the sermon that follows. Uh, but we need you desperately. Um, some of us are in the midst of that dark valley. Um, others are uh, perhaps by in green pastures and by still waters. But we need you always. And so we pray not only for us as a congregation and as individuals within the congregation, we pray for our, our city here, for Mount Vernon. We pray for our state, our country, Indeed, we pray for the world, uh, which seems in such disarray. We take comfort in the fact that you are the one who is enthroned in heaven. We take comfort in the fact that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, and yet he is the king of this world, and he will one day establish a perfect peace. We long for that day, even as in some ways, we in our sins stand in the way of that day but we just commit ourselves to you and we ask that you would bless us today from your word, uh, from this worship service, which has been a blessing so far. Uh, Be with the children as they learn of you. Uh, Be with those who are um, struggling with with illnesses and, uh, and, and, and deep concerns. May we find encouragement in you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now some of you will know that uh, uh, Tommy Hanna was scheduled to be here. And um, so if you were expecting a young, energetic, engaging, insightful guy with good hair, um, you got me. Instead, there was a death in his family, which is serious. And we we need to, uh, it was his grandmother, we think. And so keep him in your prayers um, as he he works through that. when I was asked if I might fill in, very kindly and gently asked, I said, <clears throat> well, let me pray about it and, uh, and sleep on it. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Taylor, have you drunk out of this yet? No, thank you. <laughs> I said, let me pray about it and think about it and sleep on it. And if God gives me something that, he, that, that I believe he wants me to, to bring to this congregation, then I'll do it. <clears throat> So um, I woke up the next morning. Uh, First thing that came to my mind was, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And the next thing that came to my mind was, Darlene, I am not your resource. Now, now some of you may wish that I had had a cup of coffee or some tea or whatnot before I tried to gather my thoughts. But there is actually a link here. Darlene, I'll, use, I'll call her Darlene, and her husband Walt, but because that was their names. Um, Darlene and Walt were friends of ours in Cambridge. And uh, I can't remember the circumstances. I don't think Polly can remember the circumstances. But you know when sometimes someone says something that just sticks in your mind, and kind of becomes a marker of a truth you want to hold on to? Well, he said to his wife Darlene, Darlene, I am not your resource. Uh, she could have easily said to him, Walt, nor am I your resource. But he was going for something deep. No human being could ever be a full and adequate resource for someone else. He wasn't saying it wasn't gonna be a good husband, wasn't gonna seek to be a good father and all of that. But he knew that she needed something deeper. And so the way these things began to coalesce in in my mind on this Sunday when we're going to be, um, after this service, we're gonna be voting for um, a, a pastor and with much thanks to the Pastoral Search Committee for getting us to this point. Um, The way these things came together, in my mind, was the Lord is our shepherd. We're going to be voting for a shepherd, but often pastors are referred to as under-shepherds. Under whom? Under the true shepherd, under the great shepherd. And so, Darlene, the pastor will not be our resource. We have to seek um, the Lord as our only and truest resource. And I think over the last year and a half when we've been without a pastor, we have seen that God comes through for us. The Good Shepherd comes through for us. So I want to look at uh, one of the most familiar passages in the Bible, Psalm 23. Uh, many of you will have memorized it. You'll be tempted to probably say it along with me when, when I actually read the text in, in shortly. Um, it's only six verses, but it is utterly profound in its importance. Um, I'm I'm so delighted that they put this up here because I was going to ask if anyone knows how to complete this phrase, um, and they didn't do it in our honor, nor did they put the stars on there for any of us up here. And by the way, Polly, you know, the joke about a long show, a long service today, uh, Polly pointed out quite graciously that the only difference between a long show and a gong show is one letter. Um, So thank you, mother of encouragement there. But I've heard, I've heard this phrase that um, if you grasp the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning God created, dot, dot, dot. Does anyone know how that finished? I couldn't figure out how to finish that. I mean, I, I know how I'll finish it. But has anyone heard that? Okay, I can finish it any old way I want to. Um, <laughs> if you grasp the first five words of the Bible, I think you have a, f- a sound foundation For understanding everything about the world around us this and I want to suggest if we grasp the first five words of of Psalm 23 we have a firm foundation for understanding our place in this amazing world around us so with that let's let's look at Psalm 23 and uh, I'm going to read it first for us Uh, in your bulletin it doesn't have the superscription which is actually in the Hebrew text um, and I'm sure who does the bulletins always consults a Hebrew text first before putting. No, the, <laughs> just kidding. Um, a Psalm of David. It's a Psalm of David, and that will be significant a little bit later. But it goes like this, and, and feel free to uh, mumble along if, if, you, if you know this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." I'm sure you've heard sermons on Psalm 23. I'm sure you recognize that uh, the initial metaphor is the metaphor of a shepherd. Then it moves into the metaphor of a a host or a friend. I love Derek Kidner changed host to friend, which is a a wonderful, intimate thing that begins in verse five. But as we look at this Psalm, I want us to notice um, three things okay three things to notice that the Lord as our Shepherd cares for our needs he cares for what we actually need he comes alongside us secondly comes alongside us in our most difficult passages in life in the darkest times in the most dangerous times of our lives and thirdly he comforts us with a glorious future hope okay so those are the three things we're gonna be looking at but the, let's begin with verse 1, because that's sort, that's sort of the big idea of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, that, this is not some kind of Zen, you know, empty yourself of desires and all of that. In fact, in the psalms, I think it's 37.4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So this is not a, 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 a lack of desire. It's that. It, it what it's really saying is because the Lord is my shepherd I will not come up short I will not come up short whatever the path may bring God is there he is my shepherd and think about what that means the Lord emphatic first position covenant name of, of, of God in the Bible Yahweh he's the one who made all this he's can you imagine what that's saying the Lord is my shepherd, and I'm changing it for our congregation. The Lord is our shepherd. The one who made all this is for us. And notice what he does. He, he cares for the needs of the sheep. We'll stick with this shepherd metaphor initially. Uh, verse 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, he leaves leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We can say it. What does it mean? Well, um, it sounds great, doesn't it? Green pastures, still waters, restore my soul. It sounds like we've been on a cure. Germans talk about being on a cure where they go off and they're, they're restored um, and, and feel great. We just come, our family has just come back, which is why we were absent last week. Thank you for checking in, honesty. Um, we, were, we, were, we were gathered together as a family uh, up on the Sunshine Coast. Beautiful weather, beautiful still waters. It was very restorative. Our lives don't always feel that way, though, do they? Does your life feel right now like green pastures and still waters and all restored? Well, maybe not, because life is not like it. But we need to remember that this is a metaphor that's dealing with what sheep need. Sheep need green pastures both to feed in and to lie down in. They need still waters where they can drink without being swept away, perhaps. Um, But we're not sheep. We're people. So what do we need? We're a little bit more complex than than sheep. Um, We may need trial. What does James say? Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various sorts. We're hesitating because there's so many different translations. For you know that, by, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I shall not want. How do we get there? Sometimes it's through difficulty. Sometimes it's through trial, and it builds our faith because we see that God is there. When I was a kid, my siblings and I used to collect things. We love nature and we brought it indoors. Uh, We brought snakes, we brought turtles, we brought an alligator once. Uh, My younger brother in particular was good at collecting things, but terrible at building containment facilities. so our, our, yeah, my mother was a saint that she put up with some of this. But one of the things we collected was uh, insects. We were budding entomologists, and we collected giant silkworm moths. One of our greatest thrills was getting our hands on some little caterpillars when they were small they fed on mulberry bushes they were from the great cecropia moth we had never seen a cecropia moth in the flesh if you will and so we brought them inside and uh, it was we kept feeding day by day they got fatter and fatter and fatter and then one day they hived off and they started spinning um i guess it's silk around their silkworms around themselves and then we we witnessed in our minds at least, the, the miracle of metamorphosis. And then there came a time when they started wanting to get out of the cocoon. And um, it's a, kind of a hackneyed illustration that I've heard, and you've probably heard it too. But when you watch a, a, a silkworm moth trying to get out of a cocoon, your every temptation is to help it. Couldn't I just take a little clippers and make it a little bit easier for the co- caterpillar to get out of the cocoon? In doing that, apparently, I haven't tested this because we didn't tamper, but in doing that apparently you actually damage the survivability of that silkworm moth because it needs that struggle to press those liquids that are now in its abdomen and begin cause its body to begin pumping them into its wings so ultimately it becomes beautiful and can fly. That's the way humans are. If it was always green pastures, still waters, we would become couch potatoes and worse. We wouldn't grow the way God wants us to grow. And then it goes on and it says, he restores my soul. Um, I'm not sure about the soul of actual sheep. Um, We think of, oh, this this is very restorative. I feel so emotionally peaceful now after this time away. Um, I don't know much about the emotional life of sheep, frankly, but uh, I'm sure it's not good for them to be afraid. But I don't think it's just talking about uh, restoring. I mean, it is, it is talking about that. Derek Kidner says two things are going on here and I agree with him. Um, there is this emotional restoration that goes on in us when God is there and God is present. But there's also in a suggestion from the Hebrew that it's talking about the way a shepherd goes out and rescues a wayward lamb. He goes after him think of Luke 15 the parable of the the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes and gets the one who was lost sometimes we need rescue and it's good to know that God will not just let us wander off and wander off and wander off he'll come after us that in itself is restoring our lives it's putting us back on track and that leads immediately to the latter part of verse 3 which says he leads me in paths of righteousness now I'm not sure what that looks like for a for a sheep um, righteous sheep and unrighteous I guess the unrighteous sheep are actually goats um, but really the Hebrew says he leads me in right paths if we're sticking with the metaphor he says God knows how to get you from pasture A to pasture B and he will lead you there and why does he do it? He does it for his name's sake. Now, as humans, of course, right paths that where God is leading are righteous paths. But the main thing is he's leading and he does it for his name's sake. Well, you know, his reputation is involved, surely. But um, I think it's also, if you think about what a name means in the Bible, it, when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're saying in keeping with the character um, of Jesus Himself, when you pray in that way, in commensurate with His will and His purposes. So the name is, is kind of a way of capturing the whole character of a person. So when I think when He says He leads me in right paths for His name's sake, maybe a simple way to say that is He does it because of who He is. He does it because of who He is, not because of who we are. Um, the good shepherd goes after the sheep, particularly after the wayward sheep, because of who he is. He's a good shepherd, not because the sheep is deserving of rescue. And that's often true in our own lives as well. So the first thing we notice as we're looking at this passage is that the good shepherd cares for our needs. He cares for what we actually need to grow and flourish. And then the second thing is that he comes alongside us in our deepest and darkest passages through life. Now, ultimately, of course, um, the final passage, that is the passage through death, is is one of the more dramatic, dark times in our lives. But I don't think when we read in verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I don't think it's just talking about um, our funeral service or the time that we die. This passage is rightly often read at funeral services because it brings great comfort then. But there are other times when the way ahead is deep darkness. We can't see the path ahead. We can't see our hand in front of our face. Um, In our recent uh, family vacation, we were at a place where, as you came down the gravel uh, driveway, it had a sign that said, dead slow. Okay, it meant go real slow, okay? Dead slow. You're dead wrong. That's dead obvious. That's dead simple. We use that as a superlative all the time or as an intensifier. And that's what also happens in Hebrew. Most of the time when it uses this term, tsalmavit, it's saying that it's, it's, um, it's dead dark. It's those times when you just can't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I'm tempted to tell about New York and the light at the end of the tunnel being New Jersey, but I won't. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. (laughs) That's why New Yorkers are depressed, because the light at the end of the tunnel is New Jersey. I was tempted to tell that, but I didn't tell that. Um, So notice another thing in this. Even when I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil, for you are with me okay grammarians in our midst will notice that it's shifting from third person the Lord the Lord the Lord does these things and I and he makes me he leads me he restores me but now it's you you're right here with me in those darkest moments you're right here with me your rod and your staff they comfort me the rod was the cudgel uh, you know that a shepherd would carry in the staff was for correction and guidance and sometimes retrieval it's the Typical shepherd staff with the, with the hook. Um, you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not claiming that we always feel this in those darkest times. There's a psalm. Is it Psalm 80 or 88 that says, unless darkness is our closest friend, it ends that way. The Bible makes allowances for our feelings, not keeping up with the fact that God is with us even in those darkest times. And when it's dark, often you can't see much. Uh, When I was um, in college, uh, back in the late 19th century um, at Wheaton College, I participated in a program called Outward Bound. Does anyone know Outward Bound program? Pat, have you done it? Uh, a few heads nodded, but outward bound is one of those things where you go away for a couple of weeks into the wilderness, they put you under stress, teach you that you can do more than you thought you could do, or in my case, taught me that I could do less than I thought I could do, <laughs> sometimes rather embarrassingly. Um, but it was, it, was a, it was an interesting thing. And one, So one of, the, one of the big features of outward bound is that you're put on solo, Because we're social animals and sometimes it stresses extroverts uh, out tremendously when they're not around other people. But we had a solo that was on the shores of Lake Superior for three days. We had a tarp, we had a tin can, I think we had some matches, somehow I got a fire started, uh, not in the woods, just in camp, um, and a sleeping bag. And that was about it. And we were there for, for three days all by ourselves. And uh, we were supposed to learn something about ourselves. I learned that I was capable of boredom. I was capable of intense hunger. I learned that thimbleberries are not very nutritious nor satisfying. We were allowed to eat what we could forage. And I also did learn that the heavens declare the glory of God as I watched sunsets over Lake Superior every night. And I thought, that's a pretty good fringe benefit. But ultimately, we got off. we, We were brought back after three days with no food other than thimbleberries. And so they started us on soup, and that was fine. Everyone was happy. We thought, okay, better times lie ahead. And one in our group, several in our group, decided to do some swimming in Lake Superior. Perhaps they were addicted to cold like some of my sons here. Um, uh, One of the guys made the unfortunate choice to jump off a rock or dive off a rock, actually, and he struck his head on a submerged rock, creating a huge gash in his head, which was bleeding profusely. Our, leader, our leaders were afraid that he might have had a concussion, and this was at dusk. Now, we didn't have satellite phones. We didn't bring in a helicopter. The plan was that I and John Burkhalter, I think it was, along with the leader were to do an all-night march hike with this injured fellow up a mountain in the dark to the top where there was a little town where we could get medical help and we went along in case he fainted or you know, needed us to carry him. Now, those of you who know me know that I am not well known for my sense of direction. I, I go to the doctor and they say, sit in that room, and by the time they've talked to me, I forget, did I turn right or left when I went in here? And I'm often having to ask, could you point me toward the exit? because I'll, I'll be back there in the x-ray room or something. I'm terrible sense of direction. I would have been terrified. In fact, one of my more humiliating failures was leading my group. I was elected as their patrol leader. They hadn't learned that I didn't know what I was doing. Leading them up a mountain when we were trying to get down to a lake. I mean, that, it, was, it was bad. I wasn't good at directions. I would have been terrified if our leader hadn't been with us. But because he was with us, because it was dead dark, he was right there with us. He was, in fact, accompanying us. He was leading the way. And I was fine. I mean, it was hard. They they tempted us by saying, there's muffins at the top. So they did spread a table before us when we got to the top. But it was getting light by the time we had made that hike. Um, So who you're with in the darkness makes all the difference. So... To summarize so far, the Good Shepherd cares for our, for our real needs and knows how to help us to grow in him. Um, he comes alongside us in our darkest times. And I don't need to articulate the dark times that some in this congregation are in right now. We know and we pray. Um, but he's there. And don't get me wrong. I don't mean to say we always know he's there or f- we should know he's there theologically. We don't always feel it. Job didn't feel it for a long, long time. And Jesus himself said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was Psalm 22, just one psalm ago he was quoting. We don't always feel it, but he is always there. And the story is not ended at that point. The darkness is not the end of the story. Job was restored Jesus was raised from the dead. So even in the darkest times, there remains hope because God is with us. The Good Shepherd is with us. So He cares for our greatest needs. He comes alongside us in our darkest, most dangerous passages. But then He also uh, comforts us with a glorious future hope. When we were with the family, I said, what are the things we fear most as human beings? And a number of things were were mentioned. Um, Amongst them were um, scarcity, fear of poverty that you won't be able to support your family, Um, um, insecurity. Am I going to be safe? Is this going to go okay? And then uncertainty about the future. I hope you see that this psalm is beginning to address all of those deep human needs and still those significant fears. Also the fear of rejection or the fear of loneliness. The Lord, the guy who made all this, he's my shepherd. He's with me. He's our shepherd. He's with us. Yeah, we can be lonely as human beings, but underneath it all, I loved Malcolm Geats underneath it all God is there he is with us um, so he and, and then he comforts us with this future hope that brings us to uh, the, the the shift in metaphor to a table before me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows where in the world is that coming from well, a scholar named Jack Lundbone has suggested that Psalm 23 may have been written by David at the time, one of his darkest periods when he was fleeing from Absalom, his son, who had killed his brother uh, and was now trying to kill David and take the throne. And David was chased out of Jerusalem, chased down to the Jordan. David crossed the Jordan, and then he made his way to Mahanaim, a place called Mahanaim. And there it was said... Um, that when David came to Machanaim, Shobi the son of Nehash from Rabbah of the Ammonites and Mahir the son of Amiel from Lodebar and Barzillai the Gileadite from Rogalim brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and cheese for, uh, from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness." David had actually experienced a rather lavish table spread for him in the wilderness. We don't always get that in the same way. We also don't have sons who are trying to kill us, at least not to my knowledge at this point. Um, So we 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 don't get it that way, but we do have that eschatological hope that a lavish feast will one day be ours as we're all together at the marriage supper of the Lamb how glorious that is and then we come to my favorite verse in this passage apart from the first one surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever the greatest uncertainty of life is that final passage I was thinking the other day that as you get older um, our uncertainties are fewer but the stakes are higher you know, you've, you've, you've passed through a number of things that, that trouble younger people because they haven't passed that way. Once you get all that way, then you're aging, and then you're looking ahead, and you're looking ahead to that final passage. That's when it's really important to know that the Lord is our shepherd. It's always important. Derek Kidner says, Only the Lord can lead a person through death. Any other guides turn back and the traveler must go on alone. Only the Lord can do that for us. Our loved ones have to let us go. Tim Keller said, let me go home recently. Send me home, remember that? Tom Wright, uh, writing on a different topic said, God's time will come. God will bring his people safely home. God will take even the wickedness and rebellion of the world and make it turn to his praise and to the salvation of his people. And in the meantime, his people are encouraged in their suffering. Our shepherd cares for us. He accompanies us in the dark times. And he also comforts us with this glorious hope that this life is not all there is. There is more. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, If not, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place? And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Christ is risen, and he's promised that we will be with him. That's a wonderful hope. And one other uh, small point, but an important point in verse 6. It says, goodness and mercy shall follow me. At which point you'd kind of say, could you catch up, please? (laughs) Kind of a little faster back there, goodness and mercy. Um, But actually the Hebrew is, is pursue. Many of you may have heard this. Goodness and mercy are pursuing me. They will not let me out of their sight. They're going for me. Now, we know that they haven't fully arrived because we're not in the fully glorified state. So in a sense, to know that they're chasing us down, they're after us, they're not gonna let us go. That is, is, is pretty exciting and pretty comforting. So I think if we combine the first and the last, the Lord is my shepherd, I won't come up short. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are fundamentally important things For us to remind ourselves of what about our pastor we're going to be taking a vote for a pastor soon Um, just remember darlene i am not your resource i think we need to remind ourselves don't put too many eggs in the basket of when the pastor comes all these things will be taken off our shoulders and put on his and Everything will be great. I know I'm I'm preaching to the choir because I I know you people well enough to know you don't think that way. But I think I still need to say it. Uh, My father was a pastor for 35 years um, and then spent his retirement years encouraging other younger pastors, some of whom were on the cusp of burning out. He would ask them, how many sheep can a good shepherd carry? A good, strong shepherd. How many sheep? What do you think? anyone ever tended sheep here one yeah that's probably that's probably about right my dad who grew up on a farm but I don't think they had sheep he and and he thought you know maybe if you work out he said maybe two maybe two one under each arm okay yeah so two that's how many a person a shepherd can carry how many can a shepherd feed a lot the entire flock he leads them. And so as we think about um, a pastor, and as we think about uh, voting for a pastor, let's keep that in mind. What do we want for him? We want him to know that the Lord is his shepherd, that he cares for his needs, that, he, that he'll come alongside of him when he's depressed, when when it seems pretty dark, and that there's a glorious hope ahead. We want him to be following the shepherd, even as we follow the Shepherd and then we can help one another